What a pleasure it is to be here tonight. We welcome each one and we welcome those who have joined us by Zoom. We're going to be in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 10. As I was going through the lesson tonight, it reminded me of a plant that my dad planted many, many years ago. It was a blackberry plant. Now, some people may ask, why in the world would he plant a blackberry plant? Well, where I grew up at 4,800 feet, once in a while we had one or two black, in quotes, <laughs> berries show up. Now, they were bitter to the core. And I wondered why we'd have such a thing. Well, I didn't realize until I met Nancy and went to visit her folks on the coast and she asked me to go blackberry picking, that that was real blackberry picking, because I could fill a gallon bucket in five feet on this, and eat half of them. Well, that's kind of the way it has been here in the book of Zechariah. We haven't moved very far, but the bucket continues to be full. We continue to see the rich blessings of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, declared by this faithful gospel preacher, Now today I was visiting with a young man and I asked him this question as I read a passage of scripture from the book of, I believe it's 1 Peter, about Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And I asked this question, I says, was Noah a successful preacher? He says, I've never thought about that. I said, well, the scriptures tell us, or it's assumed that there was about a hundred years that it took to build the ark, and while that time he preached, he was a preacher of righteousness. Was he a successful preacher? I don't know. Well, how many people went on the ark with him? Eight. Now, success was not measured by numbers. Success is measured by faithfulness. He was a faithful preacher. Now, these are some times, tough times that Zechariah is preaching under, but he's a faithful gospel preacher during all of this time. And much of this chapter was written in verse, in original, so we're not going to take everything literally. That's a big mistake we make when we look at the Old Testament and take it literally. It is spiritually discerned. And here in these first few verses, we've seen many things that are spiritual and for blessings for the church. And there are blessings to claim. I want to read verses 1 through 6 of this 10th chapter of the book of Zechariah. Ask ye the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain, so every one grass in the field. For the idols. Now he compares God, compares the Lord, compares where rain comes from, comes from him, and the idols have spoken vanity. And diviners have set a lie. Now this is just those who are preaching not the truth. Those are those shepherds, that weren't feeding the flock, and they didn't have anything to feed to begin with. So it goes on to say here, and have false dreams, they comfort in vain, therefore they went their way as a flock. They were troubled because there was no shepherd. Mine anger was kindled against the shepherds, and I punished the goats, for the, and that word goats means the leaders, for the Lord of hosts has visited his flock, the house of Judah, and hath made them as a goodly horse in battle. So the Lord compares the house of Judah with the church. Many times in the Old Testament, when he uses the word house of Judah, or Judah, or Israel, he's speaking about the church. 
Now we know that not all Israel represented the church. Not all Israel knew anything about the gospel. In fact, we find very uh, much the opposite for all of those folks died in unbelief. They had the gospel preached unto them, but it was not mixed with faith. And we know who puts the faith in. A cake doesn't put oil in. A cake mix does not put the eggs in. A cake mix does not put the milk in. A cake mix does not do those things. It is the person making the cake, so faith is put in, and God didn't do that. So here we have that there was no faith by most of them because God did not give it to him, and they all died in unbelief. But there is a picture that we have here out of all the world. We have one nation chosen by God to represent what it is for God to choose his people out of all people. Here we have a picture of the church. There was no Hivites, Hittites, Jebusites, Egyptians that were there to have the atonement made for. Now we do know that in the process of God's good grace that he does save Gentiles. But as a type, we see it only given to Israel. Then it tells us here in verse 4, Out of him came forth the corner. Out of him the nail. Out of him the battle bow. And out of him every oppressor together. Now let's continue through verse 6. And they shall be as mighty men, which tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. And they shall fight. Because the Lord is with them, and the riders on the horses shall be, discon- shall be confounded. And I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. And I will bring them again to place them, for I have mercy upon them, and they shall be as though I had not cast them off. For I am the Lord their God, and will hear them. Now this continues in such a glorious manner through the rest of the chapter, but we're going to stop there for just a time. And we're going to get our gallon bucket full of blackberries very quickly here. Out of him came forth the corners. And we have here four things that are brought out. Now, uh, there's some cause for issues by various commentators because some commentators say that the hymn is the Lord of hosts. And some say that the hymn is Judah. Now, the answer is Judah is the servant of the Lord of hosts. Now, whatever we want to come to a conclusion of, the Lord is the master and Judah is the servant. So whoever it is, behind the scenes or in the open, God is directing what's going on here in this verse of Scripture, out of him. Now, if he's going to use Judah to do it, thank God. And if he's going to use himself to do it, thank God. But we're going to have here some things that are such a beautiful picture of what Christ does for the church. Now, all agents, we're going to find these four things are agents of the Lord. All agents must have their commission from him, the Lord of hosts. Everything must be granted by the Lord of hosts. He's the first of all things. Now, one of my wonderful verses of scripture that I go to, you know, Sometimes we just have a day that needs to read Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. Some days just go that way, and we need that. So would you go with me to the book of Daniel chapter 4? We read this a number of times with regard to the book of of Zechariah, but here we have, because in the book of Zechariah there's lots of times that the name Lord of hosts is used, 
In Daniel chapter 4 and verse 34 and verse 35, we have Nebuchadnezzar mentioning these words. Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. Now there are times in our lives, there are times in the day, in the week, in the month. It's just good to go back here and be reminded of these words that Nebuchadnezzar shares with us about the Lord of hosts. It says here, and all the inhabitants of the earth, excuse me, verse 34, and in And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him. Sometimes it's just necessary to go back here and hear these words. We've had a trial. We've had a problem. We've had an issue. And we go back here and we find out that God uses these agents for His glory. And we go back here and we hear him saying, through the mouth of Nebuchadnezzar, he uses people's mouth. He made a donkey talk one time. And we could just say, here's another donkey talking, but he's talking the truth of the gospel. It says there, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. Sometimes I need to hear that. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. He's not changing his mind over time. And then it says, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. From the very beginning to the very end, his kingdom. He's the king that rules over his kingdom. He is the absolute monarch. And then in verse 35, and all the inhabitants are reputed as nothing. You know, to our, left to ourselves, that's the estimation that God has of the entire world. They are reputed as nothing. Now, unless the God of heaven gets involved, unless the Lord of glory gets involved, unless the Lord of hosts gets involved, we'll go through this life reputed as nothing. But if the Lord of glory should get involved and save us by his grace and for his glory, then there is such glory that he pours out that we will be joint inheritors with the Lord Jesus Christ, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So it's good to read some of this sometime. And he goes on to tell us here, and and he doth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. That's what he's going to do over here in the book of Zechariah. That's what he did in the book of Ezekiel. That's what he does in the book of Numbers. He's doing all things according to his purpose, according to his will. He does his will according to the will in the army of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? So he shuts our mouth before we open it, really. Thank God he does that. All right, now there's another passage that's been read many times recently. Um, Mike has read this a number of times. We've read this a number of times. And probably we went back to a number of the speakers that we've had. They've used this passage of Scripture, and it's over in the book of Acts, chapter 2. As we think about these things are the agents of the Lord, whether we're talking about a corner, whether we're talking about anything that God uses, He's their agents of the Lord. And here in the book of, of Acts, lest we get too confused about what was going on there at the crucifixion, we hear after the resurrection these words that God gave to a preacher of righteousness And it tells us here in the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, Him, the Lord Jesus, He was delivered, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, being delivered by God, 
Everything that happened was an agent of the Lord in that. Everything. Pilate was an agent. The high priest was an agent. Judas was an agent. Peter was an agent. They were all used by the Lord for His glory, His honor, and praise. And it says He was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, but He rests His case and said, You, by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. Now they did it by permission, but they did it. All right. Now let's go back to the book of Zechariah there in verse 4. And out of him came forth the corner. Now, as we look at this, we find that this word is often translated cornerstone. Out of him is the corner. There's verses of scripture that tell us that there was horns on the four corners of the altar. Takes us right back to that the four winds, the four corners of the earth, wherever God draws his people. Anyway, we have here the corner. Out of him came forth the corner. The cornerstone. And it is a well-known emblem of Christ throughout the scriptures. This cornerstone. In fact, the Lord brings this to our attention in his ministry. That these passages of scripture in the Old Testament that refer to a corner or a cornerstone is talking about the Lord God Almighty. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of Psalms 118, if you would. Psalms 118, as we look at some passages that the Lord left through his preachers of righteousness, declaring the gospel in the Old Testament, just as we find them declaring it in the New Testament, we have here in Psalm 118, verse 19. Psalm 118, verse 19. These wonderful words that are recorded just as he said, out of him will come the corner. Out of the Lord will come the corner. Now, we know the Lord came through the, t- the tribe of Judah. So we could say, well, out of Judah came the corner too. And the corner is, where do they tell you to stand in a, in a hurricane if you're in a building? In a corner. That's the strongest part of a building. So stand in the corner. Stand in Christ. In um, Psalm 118, verse 19, it says, The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. Open me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them, and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into the righteous shall enter. And I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the head of the corner. Now, speaking this from a spiritual context, nobody picked up on Christ. Nobody picked up on the Messiah. But he's become the very cornerstone. He's become the very most secure part of the building. He's the part that the church is all attached to. And we are secure in that cornerstone. So it says, this is in verse 23, this is the Lord's doing and marvelous in our eyes. So we are astonished, we're astounded at the strength that we have in Christ because he is made the corner. Well, this continues on through the Old Testament as well as the New. So move just a little bit to the book of Isaiah, if you would. And we find another preacher of righteousness is declaring this, a faithful preacher of righteousness. And Isaiah chapter 28, Isaiah chapter 28, in Isaiah chapter 28, beginning with verse 14, Isaiah 28, verse 14 says, Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men, 
that rule this people which is in Jerusalem. Because ye have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with hell are we at agreement? When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a cornerstone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth on him shall not be ashamed or make haste. So the comparison between what we by nature trust in and what the Lord gives us to trust in, there is no comparison. This is a sure corner. This is the true corner. This is the one that we have so mentioned throughout the scriptures. This is the Lord of glory in all of his salvation. So this is a wonderful place for us to take and look at. It says there uh, in verse uh, 24 there, it says, let me get in the right place here. Uh, Verse 16, excuse me, verse 16, it says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion. Now, it's his business. He's doing it. He's prepared it. He's providing it. He's laid a foundation stone, a true stone, a precious corner stone, a sure foundation. And he that believeth shall not be ashamed or make haste. So we have this, I'm doing it. I've got it. I'm building it. And I'm adding the stones to it. And that's the church. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 21, verse 42. Matthew chapter 21, and verse 42. We have the Lord picking up on this. He knows who He is. He's the appointed cornerstone. He's the one that appointed the cornerstone. And He's the one that's brought out there in the book of Zechariah. The corner. I will have the corner. In Matthew chapter 21... And verse 42, Matthew chapter 21, verse 42. Jesus said unto them, Did you never read in the Scriptures? Now, can you hear what those people said? I read the Scripture for four hours this morning. What are you talking about? The Pharisees, they had phylacteries. They had verses of Scripture all over them. The stone that the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation, bringing forth fruits thereof. Well, we know there's only one that produces fruit. There's the fruit of God, the fruit of the Spirit. So it says there, have you never read in the Scriptures? Now he's just quoting the passage we just read in Psalm 118 and Isaiah there 28. Here he is quoting those verses of Scripture and saying, I'm the corner. And unless I reveal unto you that I'm the corner, you're refused. Well, let's look at another place in the book of Luke chapter 20. The book of Luke chapter 20. This wonderful corner. Now, to many, it doesn't look very safe. To many, it doesn't look very classy. To many, it doesn't look very appreciable. To many, it just isn't interested. But in a storm, and he's revealed that this is the place to be, and we're there, in a storm, we find out just 
how beautiful a place it is. When we face God, we find out just what a beautiful place it is to be found in Him, to be found in the corner, to be hidden in the corner, to this wonderful, structural, beautiful place that God has given us in Christ. And here in the book of Luke chapter 20, and there in verse 17, And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon the stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And how do we do that? You know, I used to work a lot at that. There's an impossibility. <laughs> you just can't humble yourself before the Lord. Because we humble ourselves before the Lord and we're proud of it. <laughs> but He humbles us. And He, cast yourself unto the Lord. Trust the Lord. Don't move a muscle. Trust Him. And you know, the Lord gives us the ability to trust Him with all our might. I can't dissect it, and I can't diagram it, but I know in whom I have believed, and that He is able. He's the chief corner. He's the cornerstone. Now this is brought up in the book of Acts, chapter 4. This whole subject is a biblical subject do you realize that over there in the Old Testament, if they were to make an altar, they were not to hew those stones? Don't add your works. Leave it as it is. And that's just the cry out, leave Christ alone. Don't add anything to Him and don't take anything away. Don't put your works on Him. Don't add it. It will destroy. It will destroy. Acts chapter 4, and there in verse uh, 11. Acts chapter 4 and verse 11. We're going to read verses 11 and 12 there in Acts chapter 4. Verse 11, it says, This is the stone which was set at naught. What's that word not mean? Nothing. Nobody paid any attention to it. Not of the builders. Now the Jews, the Pharisees, the religious people, thought they were the builders of the kingdom of heaven. But this stone they had nothing to do with. It was out. It has become the head of the corner. Who promoted it to that position? The Lord God Almighty. Neither is there salvation in any other. This is the meaning of this. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He is the corner. He is the head of the corner. This is Him. And Paul brings this up in the ninth chapter of the book of Romans. Ninth chapter of Romans, verse 33. Romans chapter 9, verse 33. As it is written, we have this subject brought up again, that there is only one corner, and it is the Lord's corner. He has brought this through the covenant of grace. In uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 33, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You know, to... To religion, it is a stumbling stone. I cannot find any other place where the uh, enmity that natural man has 
is so displayed as it is when it comes to people's interpretation of the Bible. Well, my God wouldn't do that. That's not in my Bible. I went, I've never read that. Well, that's just enmity against the Word of God because God's people are brought to a place they will believe the Word of God. All right? And then, over in the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this is brought up again. It's so important. This is the chief corner. This is the corner in Zion. I lay in Zion. This is the church's only hope. This is the only position that we can have, is in this corner. He's the cornerstone. He's laid in Zion. What's Zion? That's the church. Outside of him, there is no church. With him, there is the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and there in verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We can't lay. <laughs> the foundation has been laid. We'll agree with it or disagree with it. If we agree with it, Lord has had to work a work. So here it is. And then, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And verse 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. Jesus Christ himself be in the chief corner. I will bring out the corner. I'm not going to leave it up to anyone else. Any other corner is not the corner. This is the corner. Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the chief corner. Now the word stone is there in italics. It wasn't in the original. It's been put there hopefully for clarity. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. And one other place is over in the book of First Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Psalms, Isaiah, Matthew, Luke, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians. And now in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. This is a safe place to be in the corner. But unto them that be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed has become the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. They've met their appointment. But it's over the same corner. The church has found contentment. The church has found safety. The church has found security. But those without Christ, they have found only a stumbling stone, disbelief. And we find out even at that, they were appointed to that. So the church has found a place, a covert in the storm, a satisfactory place to rest. And nothing can get to the church in that position. Well, as we go back to the book of Zechariah, we find that that's only one out of three things that the Lord brings up in that one verse of Scripture. We may have a couple of buckets of blackberries in this verse of Scripture. But in the book of Zechariah, again, there in chapter 10, the next thing that's brought up 
in that uh, verse of Scripture, verse 4, out of him came forth the corner, out of him the nail. Now, this word is used a number of times over in the book of Exodus when it was the pins that held down the tabernacle curtains or the curtains outside. And uh, those pins were to be made of brass, and they were long pins. Now, the reason I know they're long pins is because one of them was used at one time. A guy fell asleep on the ground, and a lady went over there and pinned him to the ground. So they were long pins, and they they made the tabernacle secure. Now, one year, first year, second year, I went elk hunting up in the Hepner area. I, there was a positive thing, I got my elk. But we went, set up our tent, didn't put any pins down through the tent. We went down in the canyons to do some uh, scouting before season started, came back, the wind had come up, and our tent, now it was a big wall tent, was completely upside down off of Our beds were still there. Our bedrolls were in place. Everything was in place. Nothing was disturbed, but the covering was upside down. Well, when we got it set back up, we made sure that we pinned it down. Now, there have been times when I've hunted with these guys, and we're there, dark, dark 30, and they say, we need to put some pins down. I understand now why. Now, I find that this is so comforting for the church that he pins us down He secures us. It's not our security, it's His security. He's the one that pins us down. So let's look at this uh, a little bit as we think about this this nail. This nail. They're tent pegs. They're used to support the tabernacle. They're used to the courtroom, uh, courtyard curtains, and they're made of brass, and they're used about 10 out of the 19 times in the book of Exodus when it's describing the building of that. We find out that of him is our tent peg. Now, he's our tent peg. It's not us. There's no security in us. If he should regard iniquity, who shall stand? So I find out that my security is not me. My security is not you. My security is not this church. My security is the one who is the tent pin, the tent peg, and he drives it through us, and we are secure. The book of Isaiah. Would you turn with me to Isaiah 22? We have here in this passage of Scripture, it talks about a nail. In Isaiah chapter 22, now the Lord takes care of his people. He does not leave them high or dry. He takes care of them. He is the sure foundation. He is the cornerstone. Everything that we need is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, where's our security? He's our pin. He's the one that takes this tent and pins it down. He puts it in a sure place. Well, Isaiah chapter 22, Isaiah 22 and verse 23, we have this about the Lord. Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 23. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. Now, this is talking about Eliakim. If you look in verse 20, the son of Hilkiah. Now, the Lord is the antitype of this man. He was used 
Now, those in authority can be used as pins. They can help with society, they can help with law, they can take care of problems, but the antitype of Hilkiah, him, as it tells us here, I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. Now this is reflective of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is he I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. Now, our securities depend upon that nail in a sure place. You know, as we think about this, we find that there's another passage, and we've already went through it when we were going through the book of Ezra. Back up to the book of Ezra, but in actuality, when it comes to chronological, uh, we're going ahead of Zechariah. <laughs> in Ezra chapter 9, Ezra chapter 9 and verse 8, Now here, we have a nail in a holy place. Over here, we have a nail in a sure place. Well, when we look at Christ, we have a sure place, but it's a holy place. In the book of Ezra, chapter 9, verse 8, And now for a little space grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place. Ezra 9, verse 8. And give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. Wow. We thought a lot of that when we went through, but when we look at that, he's our nail, he's our tent peg. It takes on more meaning because we have here, we have a nail in a holy place. The Lord our God is holy. And he said, except we be holy like he is holy, we'll not see the holy God. So that holiness has to be given to us. It's given as a gift. It's imputed to us. It's blessed to us. But we're, we're secure in this holiness. And then it's a sure place. There's a, he is a nail in a sure place. Now when we think about it, it talks about the, the stability and the security that we have in Christ. He is as stable as a rock. <laughs> Because he's called the rock. He is stable. Our Christ, on Christ, hang all the vessels of mercy. We find no mercy outside of Christ. On him hangs it all. The covenant of grace is hung on Christ. All the promises and blessings, all the glory of the church and the salvation of his people is hung on Christ. He is a nail in a sure place. He's a nail in a holy place. Now, there in the book of Colossians, it tells us about something that was nailed to the cross. A sure place. A holy place. Christ took it. Jump over there with me to the book of Colossians chapter 2, would you? Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at a couple of verses here in uh, Colossians and in the book of John. In Colossians chapter 2, the church just says hallelujah for this nail. <laughs> Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. This is a glorious place. Blotting out. Verse 14. Now, we should read the whole chapter. No, we should read the whole book. But we're going to read verse, 13, verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Was against us. The law was against us. 
But this blotting out the handwriting of ordinances was against us, which was contrary to us. What? It was weak through the flesh. We couldn't keep it. And took it out of the way, nailing it to what? His cross. I'm so glad he's a nail in a sure place. He's a nail in a holy place. And he took all of that stuff that was held against us and it was given to him, nailing it to his cross. Now, jump back with me to the book of John chapter 20. John chapter 20. It never struck me like today when I was going through this. This is what Jesus did here in John chapter 20, verse 25. John chapter 20 and verse 25. In John chapter 20, you remember how Thomas was railed on. He's an agent though, remember this. He is an agent. What prevented him? (laughs) Well, he was sick. He was visiting his family. He didn't feel like going to church. I don't know. But he was an agent of the Lord. And it says here, Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I see the hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger in the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now Thomas was a believer, but there was this that he would not believe. (laughs) Now, look at this. And after eight days, again, his disciples were were within, and Thomas said unto them, or was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Now after all of that nonsense that these guys have done to the Lord, ran, lied about him, never knew him. And the, Peter is the example, but the rest of them did exactly the same thing. They ran too. And here... He says, peace be unto you. And you know what? He meant every word of that. He was not trying to set them up. He was just declaring the truth. Peace be unto you. I am a nail in a sure place. I am a nail in a holy place. I am a corner. And he goes on to say, Thomas, reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, What a glorious conclusion to a bad situation. We would go through this a hundred times to come out with this answer. My Lord and my God. A nail in a sure place. A nail in a holy place. A nail nailed to His cross with all the allegations against us. And so we have a Savior that saves, a Redeemer that redeems, a nail in a sure place, a nail in a holy place, and a corner laid in Zion that the church found security on. Now, we're not going to have time to go on to the battle bow We'll look at that bucket full of berries next time. But in that verse of Scripture, there are two things left. I will draw out the battle bow, 
And let's just read that before I mess it up. Zechariah chapter 10, verse 4. Out of him the battle bow, out of him every oppressor together. Every oppressor together. Just remember, they are all agents of the Lord, doing His will. Agents of the Lord. Out of Him shall come forth the corner stone, out of Him the nail, out of Him the battle bow, and out of Him every oppressor together. And one of my wonderful verses of Scripture, who is this that cometh forth out of Basra with dyed, dyed garments? Who is this? He has fought the battle. All right, we'll stop there. Lord willing, we'll pick up at this point next time and we'll continue to fill our bucket out of the rich blessings of Zechariah chapter 10.